On this episode, I'm in the room with Edward Welch discussing how to love others well. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 38. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're listening for the first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find lots of ways for you and I to stay connected online by visiting my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. In the Room is your opportunity to eavesdrop on my conversations with interesting people. Every week I sit down with people of varied backgrounds, perspectives, and vocations, so I end up talking with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. On this episode, I'm in the room with Edward Welch. Ed is a counselor and faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. He's been counseling for over 35 years and written a number of excellent books, including his most recent, Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. In my conversation with Ed, we discussed some of the reasons behind the rise in number of people seeking counseling, what to look for in a good counselor, and some keys to living an interdependent community with others. Now get comfortable and come on in the room for my conversation with Ed Welch. Well, Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to come on uh, in the room. I really, really appreciate it. I've appreciated you from a distance for a long time. And uh, the new book, Side by Side, uh, is no exception. But before we talk about that, uh, I'd love to to, uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing uh, now in addition to writing books. So your bio says that you are a faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. And so for people that aren't familiar, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the distinctives of CCEF and maybe what your role there is currently? CCF started around 50 years ago, and, and the mission of the organization sounds somewhat similar to the name. We are a group of people who do Christian biblical counseling, and we do instruction in, in biblical counseling. I guess we would define counseling as simply the care of souls. It's, it's, it's biblical with a little b. There's nothing proprietary about it. It's it's simply it's simply how do we care wisely for for each other so that's been that's been our delight for 50 yeah. years and i've been here since 1981 so so Long it's time. been it's been a great privilege so to be able to do that would that be the same as as uh nuthetic counseling i know that i i've heard that word is so is is biblical counseling the same thing as nuthetic counseling that's a, that, that's a big question, and okay. that's that's worthy of, of a podcast in and of itself. Okay, but but I, and Nuthetic Counseling has recently changed its name to Biblical Counseling. Okay, but I would say there are distinctions uh, among them. The distinctions are in-house distinctions, but but there are people who understand what we do at CCF and what Nuthetic Counseling is doing. They would say some, something's different about the two of you. They yeah. they might have a difficult time identifying exactly what they would be. So is your role now, are you still doing a lot of counseling personally? Or are you mainly uh, involved in writing and instructing others and kind of bringing up a new generation? My personal job description is essentially counseling, teaching, and writing. Okay. And and I, I a couple of years ago, I actually... Had I, I thought it was a, an appropriate time to consider if I could only do one of those three, what would I do? Uh-huh. And it really didn't take long for me to to think it through. I I'm just a counselor at heart. I I I just I just so appreciate the privilege of being able to know the things that are on people's hearts, to be able to consider together with them what is it that God says, and and obviously. 
the the business of care of souls is it's, it's great because we know that whatever God says, it's going to sound really really good. Yeah. Even 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 if He's speaking about our sin, He, yeah. he, he does. It sounds really really good. So. Yeah. So you just can't beat it. So I would say of the three things that I do, that's that's probably what I what I enjoy the most. But I but I also teach and and Ryan, I appreciate what you're saying. I, I teach and have a particular interest in the next generation. Yeah. And and my writing tries to serve that purpose as well. How do we raise up a next generation and one after that? Well, I am curious because you have how, how many? So lace on the back of this most recent book, it says you've been counseling for 35 years. Is that accurate? That is accurate, yeah. So in, in your 35 years, I'm curious if you tend to see now, 35 years later, are you seeing the same issues in people's hearts and lives as you did 35 years ago most commonly? Or because culture has changed, are there certain issues that are more or less prominent than they were? You know, Are you seeing any really thematic changes that are happening in people's hearts and lives as you counseled now all these years later? Does that make sense? It, it does make sense, and and please interact with me, yeah, uh, if, with your own thoughts. My my experience is, is is probably what we would anticipate from the scripture, where there are always new variations of personal struggles. Uh-huh. Uh, well, for example, this goes back a long way, but I can remember when I was probably in junior high school, I saw anorexia for the first time, and and it probably was one of the early times anorexia emerged in the culture. I saw it in a woman and then then amazingly enough I actually saw it in a friend who was a friend of who was a person who, who I knew fairly well. And, and and then you begin to see over the next 20 years anorexia taking root and then you see variations on it. You see it's not simply self-starvation you you see it's people binging and and purging. Mm-hmm. And and then you begin to see it move into uh, into into self mutilation and and cutting, so so there, there there are variations on the theme. And after cutting, which is where we are right now, it's hard to know exactly where it will go. But so on one in, that's that's on one hand. There there are always new variations of of the way we express personal struggles. But but the privilege I have is I have more than a few minutes to get to know someone and. And inevitably, whenever I get to know someone, within a half hour, I, I find myself saying we. Yeah. In other words, not only are we in this together, but, you know, I, I recognize those kinds of struggles. I, can, I sure. can find the basic contours of that even in my own heart, even though it's expressed in different ways. Yeah. So that's, I, I think that's probably what we would expect, expect from Scripture. Always, always new variations, and each culture has its own variation of of human struggles, but when we get to know each other, we we find fears and anger and shame and guilt and, and suffering and and a sense of isolation, all those things that that scripture identifies almost on every page. Yeah. So the heart what what's broken in the heart tends to remain the same. And then the just the way that it manifests itself differs from culture to culture and then, you know, progresses throughout time. But what's broken in the heart, it tends to, when you drill it back, it tends to come back to the same things. Yeah, it sure does. And, and, and I've had opportunities to travel to more and more countries over the years. And, and, and one of the things I've, I've enjoyed is how Scripture really does identify this fundamental humanity that, that is within us all. So it's, 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 been, it's, been a, it's been a privilege to be able to, 
meeting with other brothers and sisters in different cultures, very different cultures, but but everybody's shaking their heads when yeah. when we're talking about things. So, well, I'm I'm I uh, wonder what you are when you. We'll just keep it kind of to the Christian counseling world, but when you look at kind of the Christian counseling culture that has greatly expanded, you know, in the past Certainly few decades, has. for sure. What are you, I always like to ask this question, but what are you both encouraged by? And then what are maybe some concerns that you have when you survey the landscape right now of where we are? Uh, great question. I, I am encouraged by pastors and, 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 and church leaders who recognize that they have a mission to of the public ministry of the word, the preaching and teaching, but also the personal ministry of the word and the care of souls. I, I appreciate how 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 people who are not ministry professionals are 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 taking up the call to be equipped to be able to care for the souls of of family and friends. So I. I see the church just really growing in the way it ministers in everyday life in extravagant ways. So, so that's 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 a great joy to be able to see that. And I think I, I, I think one reason the church is growing in it is is even though we live in a professional culture where we we give give our problems to the experts, I think we're beginning to realize the experts. Have had access to those problems for a number of decades now, and nothing has changed. Yeah, that's and, a good and our and our personal struggles seem to be only intensifying. So it it does create opportunities for the church. Uh, so so that's that's a very encouraging development. the the other the the other thing you're asking me to consider is the whole field of Christians who do counseling. Uh, how are things going there? I. I would say that 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 a, a fairly splintered group seems to seems to be coalescing around around two larger categories. Okay, one would be called biblical counseling, which uh-huh. you know, little b biblical counseling. We want we want what we do uh, and why we do it to rise out of scripture. Yep. that would be one increasing group. The other, I think, would would identify themselves perhaps as Christian counselors. And, and the, the alleged difference between the two groups is that Christian counseling wants to take advantage of the resources of secular psychology and secular psychotherapy. Uh, and, and I think they would probably say that biblical counselors prefer to, to avoid such things. The, but as you can imagine, the differences probably go a little bit deeper, and, and ultimately – the differences are theological differences, yeah. uh, and, and you know the the questions are not so much who can we learn from. I, we're, we're Christians, and and obviously all of us want to be shaped by Scripture, and we've thought about worldviews and biblical worldviews views for decades now, and and I think all Christians have are, are committed to such things. We want Scripture, in a sense, to be the lens by which we see the entire world, and and then. And, and then we look everywhere. We we read Christian literature, and some of it's good, and some of it's not. We li- read secular literature, and some of it's good, and some of it's not. So, so I don't think that's the issue. the The, the questions probably are more: How do we understand who people are? And, and 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 I think those are fundamentally there are some fundamental distinctions between the way we 
we understand our basic humanity and how scripture identifies being created in the image of God, those yeah. matters. So you're identifying that, you know, there are differences out there, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I want to be gracious and generous with this, but with the rise of Christian counseling and therapy, there is, uh, it's not all created equal. And uh, not, not just in the fact that, yes, we have different theological convictions, but it's not all equally good <laughs> either. Um, as a pastor and a church planter, I've, I've heard and interacted with people that have just not had good counseling, despite the fact that it's labeled Christian or whatever. And so I wonder for you, when you can you give advice to people, someone that might be considering going into counseling or is looking for help, can you maybe share, give some advice on what, you, what people should look for and then what they should look out for? Mm. Oh, that's, that's such a tough one. It, it, the, because there are, there are really fine counselors who, who, who really have their counseling rise out of Scripture and there are some some poor counselors yeah. who really endeavor to have their counseling rise out right. of scripture, and and there are there are eclectic counselors who are Christian who really love other people well and 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 do keep people into scripture and are great help. There are others who who inadvertently give a, a different way of growth than what we would hear from the pulpit Sunday after Sunday. So. So, it, so, so I guess the question would be, oh, who who would I who would I go to if I was going to to talk to a professional? Oh boy, is it really know. as important as I mean? There's just going to be some level of trial and error that people have to go and at, know what they're looking for, ask good questions, and and find out whether or not that. Christian counselor is suited to best meet their needs, or um, are there specific questions that they should be looking? I mean, because there are, I want you to speak from your from your perspective and to your conviction. So you are a biblical counselor, and and what are what are there are some theological differences between let's say a biblical counselor and a Christian counselor. So from your perspective, what are uh, two or three of the things that are really essential? That, that might be differences even between the two that people really should be looking for from your perspective? Let me, let me answer that in two ways. Okay. Uh, one is, if, if I were going to be looking for a counselor, I, I think what I would do first is hold it. Uh, the Spirit has been poured out on humanity, and, and, and in Jeremiah 31 suggests even children yeah. Have, have a certain kind of wisdom, and, and I have certainly seen that with younger children and, and certainly with teenagers. So, so the first thing it seems to me we're thinking is, who is a friend who, who knows Jesus, who knows the Scripture, who, who doesn't jump the gun, who doesn't immediately spring into advice, but really tries to understand, and in and, and, and most ministry is, is what? It's... it's trying to understand the things on somebody's heart, and then asking the question, what is it that God says? Yeah. And, totally. and they do that in a kind of partnership. So that's the first thing I'm thinking. Who, okay. who are the people out there? And, and I can think of, ooh, I can think of, I can probably think of six people immediately that, yep. that I would go to, and I'm sure there would be a dozen more if I thought yep. about it. Me too. The, what would I do after that? After that, I would 
I would see where we get stuck with friends and where we're, you know, something's still, I'm still struggling with something and I just don't know where to go. And then I would, I would ask somebody from the pastoral staff to, to help or to, to point me in the direction of somebody who could. So that would be, that would be the, the one, that, that would be yeah. the ideal way to proceed. Yeah. If I had to skip, for some reason, the, the friends and the pastoral staff and, and think about a, a counselor that I don't know very well, which, again, it's, it's sort of strange, isn't it, to, it is. to bear our souls with somebody we don't know very well. Yeah. But I would be, this, this, seems, this seems sort of narrow, I realize. But do you pray? Will you pray with me and for me? And, 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 and will, you, will you draw us to Christ and to the scriptures with, which, which speak of Christ? Yeah. I, I realize that sounds sort of overly religious and, and, and narrow, but, but they're, they're really good questions. They uh, are, I was definitely. Kind of those two questions, I would probably ask those two. Yeah, and I, I would say if, if I were to sit down with a counselor and they were uncomfortable being asked and answering those questions, that that might be a sign this is not the right, not the right person for me. I, it, it would leave me scratching my head. Yes. Yeah. Well, I do. I, I think that you just hit on this, and I'm, I've been curious about this, and it was one of the first things that I thought of when I started reading your book last week. And I wonder if you see um, any connection in this. Do you, do you think that the increased number of people in therapy and counseling, which it's definitely exponentially higher than it was years ago for sure, but do you think that the increase in, in, in the number of people in counseling and therapy has anything to do with maybe a decrease of genuine and healthy relationship with people in our lives? You mentioned going to friends first. Are more people maybe going to counseling because we don't have as high quality relationships in our lives, which is one of the things that you're helping us with in the inside by side. Do you see any connection there or no? There, uh, that's a great question. I hope I don't say it. that's a great question every time you speak. It will, it will no. be redundant. But it's better than that was a crappy <laughs> question, so I'll take it. <laughs> I really appreciate thinking about these questions with you. I, you know, the, the larger question, personal, it's, it's not just people who are going to counselors and that's on the increase. It, it's, it's, it's human struggles seem to be on the increase. Mm-hmm. And it's not simply that they're advertised more. Uh, and and so you notice them more. Uh, suicide is genuinely on the increase. Yes. And, and it has been on the increase for decades now. And it doesn't seem to be abating in any way. And, and depression is on the increase. And panic attacks are on the increase. It, all human struggles seem to be on the increase. And, and, and so it creates a larger question, why is that? And, and I don't know why yeah. that is. I think there, there, there are probably all kinds of reasons but at least I know that that we have to be mobilized because yeah. the scripture, if the scripture says anything, it speaks to human suffering. It is so it is so aware of the human predicament mm-hmm. and human misery. So it creates it creates immense opportunities and responsibilities for us who have revelation from Jesus. the 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 question about human relationships. There has been there has been so much written about that recently, uh, especially about the way we we, we use internet and yeah. di- and do digital relationships. But 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 even yesterday, I was I was reading an article. I think it was in the New York Times, and it was it was saying that addictions, the, the addiction research has suggested that they're onto things. That is, 
that if you go to AA and uh, on one hand, and if you if you keep track of the medications that are coming out that can that can somehow revise the way we respond to addictive drugs, then then we're on the right track. Well, it, it's just simply not true. the The addictions area among the experts is 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 really in a bit of confusion. The article that I read just the other day was was saying here seems to be the common denominator. Uh, and 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 he and the, it was she 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 was identifying just one observation. Why is it that people, when they're in the military, there can be thousands and thousands of people who come home having been addicted to heroin from the military, but there's only a, a fraction of them who continue in it? Why? Why? Why is that? And and what she's identifying is that some people come back. To good relationships, yeah. and some people come back to a fragmented world with really no relationships, and and that's you know our ears perk up when we hear that because we we should be relationship experts. Right. <laughs> we should be the people who 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 know something about love and know something about persevering love, and we should be the people who are who have a community that invites. And it absorbs a motley group of people like ourselves. Yeah. So, so, so I think there's good evidence to identify the the fragmenting of relationships has certainly contributed to the the massive rise of personal problems. And and you know perhaps we can go back further and, and identify a culture where divorce has become commonplace yeah. and. And the nuclear family is is certainly not what it once was. Mm-hmm. I I suspect a lot of people would identify that as a significant precursor yeah. to the present sort of disenfranchisement that and alienation that we we so often experience today. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to share a simple way that you can help support in the room. As you know, most weeks I'm talking with someone who's written a book about something. Now, I love books, and I know firsthand how expensive it can be to try to keep up with all the books that you'd like to read, including the ones that you hear about on this show. And this is why I'm so excited about our new partnership with Givingtons.com. Like Amazon, they sell books at discounted rates, but here's what's great for In the Room. When you buy a book through our store, we receive a portion of that sale to help continue bringing great weekly content. So for whatever featured book we're discussing on this week's episode, we receive a full $2. And for books from past episodes, we receive $1.25. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, but I want to help get this podcast to as many people as possible, and I need your help. So will you keep spreading the word on social media, and will you consider buying this week's book through givingtons.com? Just go to givingtons.com slash in the room. There you're going to find not only this episode's book, but books written by past guests as well. So check out our new store at givingtons.com slash in the room. Thanks so much for your help. And now back to the conversation. Yeah, well, that need and connection for genuine friendship and relationships, a great segue into the new book. And so I always like to ask um, authors, if you were to summarize sort of the big idea of what you're trying to communicate in your book in a sentence or two, uh, how would you explain what, what the big idea of the book is? That God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in other people's lives. That would be, that would be the short of it. I, I'm a professional counselor, which you know, that, 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 the, which is just a weird thing because 
people actually come to me. I don't necessarily always go to them as a professional. Right. And, and, and it's just so weird that sometimes they pay to actually talk to me. I just, right. it's just, it's just so weird. Uh, uh, and that's not obviously the only venue in which I do counseling, but as a, as a counselor, I, it's the private ministry of the word. It's a personal ministry of the word. You have opportunities for back and forth engagement and, 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 and what I find is this, that, that those who I have watched really grow during my time with them, if, if I would try to identify the most indelible human fingerprints on that, and, and I, the Spirit uses human beings, mm-hmm. I, 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 would, I would not say that mine are the prominent ones. The, the prominent ones are, are, are the people in a small group who, who pray for the, the somebody who, who has that dinner invitation at just the right time. The, 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 the group who prays for when somebody is willing to, to share the things that are on their heart. But then that person from the small group who comes back three weeks later and say, oh, yeah, you've been on my heart and, and I've been praying for you. And how are you doing? The, the, the scripture that was read by, by somebody saying, could I just share, here's a scripture that, 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 I, that I encountered the other day, and it's just been, it's been, so, it's been so precious to me. The person who shares a prayer request, and, and all of a sudden, the, you know, the person I'm talking to realizes, hey, the, the Christian culture is such that we can speak about these things with one another. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there are other people who are like me. I, I, I find that the accumulation of, of those kind of events, those kinds of people who had no idea that they were doing such extravagant ministry. I, those are the people I identify as the ones who have had the most significant impact in many ways. I feel as a professional, um, sitting in the grandstands, watching, watching the Spirit do this, this, this powerful work in people's lives in, in, in ways that not everybody can see, but powerful yeah. all the same. And, it's, and the Spirit, is, as we would guess, is he's using weak, ordinary people. Yeah. Well, one of my hopes for your book is I, I hope, be, I mean, that's happening and we don't even, we're not even aware of it. My hope is that more and more Christians will read this book and will learn about the impact that little things like that are having and that maybe we can be even more intentional uh, about it because we're aware of it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so one thing I wanted to ask you about was, it seems to me that what you're arguing for or encouraging in the book is is interdependent relationships um, in that we are, I think the way that you state it in the book is that we are both people who are um, needy and needed. And I really liked that distinction. However, we tend to live, most people tend to not live healthy, interdependent in, in, in healthy inter- interdependent relationship, but in one of two extremes, either hyper-independent mm-hmm. or codependent. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could maybe explain the difference between those two extremes and the danger in living in those two extremes. Yeah. Well, I'll start with the, the easy one first, the hyper-independent. All I have to do is just look at my own life. And, yeah. And, and I, 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 I truly appreciate being able to know the things that are in other people's hearts and carry them on my own. I, I find that to be a great gift, and I am honored to be able to do it. Uh, but, but that's not necessarily inter, interdependence. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, you know, that's sort of a one-sided uh, relationship. And, 
and part of the deal is that that I share the things that are on my own heart, and yeah. and I I don't do that naturally. And when people ask, "How are you?" I, I find myself initially deflecting the question, uh, or taking it as a mere greeting, and saying, "Oh yeah, hey, how are you?" Yeah, and and I I still am not. I'm still not very good at sharing my own heart, and I think there are at least two reasons for it. One is, I think characterologically, I'd rather not be in the spotlight. Uh, that's, I think that's just the way I always was, even even before I was a Christian. Okay. But the other is, who wants to who wants to talk about their weaknesses? Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather totally. I'd rather look somewhat competent. So, so there's the the hyper independent part that that it's simply not natural for us to talk about our weaknesses, and, and then it raises questions for. For, for for leadership in the body of Christ, how do we set how do we set the pace in speaking about our own weaknesses and inviting people to pray for us and to help us? The the more codependent, the the people who who who, who crave and, and 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 can't live without without that that confidant, without without being able to share their lives and have somebody who who is willing to to really hear, to really listen? I, I, I think that that's a tougher one to identify. But here's here's the pace that we're anticipating. One is that if you know, let's say I'm encountering somebody who who tends toward that over dependence, uh, what, what I'm going to do naturally is okay, how can we speak these things to the God who hears? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because because I think what you're identifying with with, with what people have called codependence is that we we turn to other people, but we don't really turn to the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's not very helpful. Totally. The, yeah. You know, we look at the Psalms, and and the Psalms have both of those things. We're speaking the Psalms to one another, oftentimes, uh, and and there's that implicit request for help and dependence on the body. But there is always we are speaking these things from our hearts to the to the God who hears. So that's that's what we're aiming for in the body of Christ. We're we're speaking indeed with one another, but we are always encouraging each other to to speak honestly and openly from our hearts. And and that seems so easy, but but that that too is not natural to us. And, and Ryan, let me just give you a real quick illustration of yeah. that. I I around two years ago, I, I went through a phase, that I'll just call my, I began to have some panic attacks, which, okay. which were, which were um, intriguing, given that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about fears and written books right. on fears, and, and here they come home in their most extreme version to roost in my own life, and, and it, it's a longer story, but the, the shorter version is, 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 is one evening around 2 o'clock in the morning, it was like I had the giant earthquake. It was this panic attack, woke me out of a deep sleep, and I knew things were not going to be quite the same after that, and wasn't going to be able to get back to bed. So I, I got out of bed and just sat in the living room and, and began to go through different scripture, and went through you know, Philippians chapter 4, and thinking about those things that are right and good and true, and, and, and just trying to redirect my thoughts, which, and that's all good. Yeah. But it wasn't until probably 24 hours later where, where I realized that I missed the most important thing, to, to simply speak openly to the God who hears. And, That's good. And, 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 and so after 24 hours, I, I finally got the knack of it. And it would you know, go something like this, Lord, I don't know what's going on. 
I feel like I, I feel like I'm going to die, and I'm a little surprised. I'm, frankly, I'm a little a little disappointed that I'm not I'm not more pleased with such a thing. But I don't really want to die. I don't really want to die right now, and I I would prefer not to die in that particular way. Yeah. And this is harder than I expected. Jesus, help. Yeah. That's that's the pinnacle of of the Christian life, yeah. and and it was surprising to me that. That it, it didn't come as naturally as I expected. Yeah. Well, it's strangely encouraging to me to know that it took you 24 hours to pray <laughs> because uh, I definitely find myself on the back end of, you know, hours and hours of anxiety or frustration, finding myself going, I've talked to everybody other than the one person who can actually do anything about the way that I feel and what I'm going through. So um, it's nice to know I'm not alone in that. Uh, <laughs> there was a line in the book that I. I really appreciated and that also brought up a question for me. At one point you write, human beings do best when they take their hardships public uh, to God and at least one person. And um, what would you say to someone who, let's say, has been hurt by another person in their life they should have been able to trust, whether it be a parent or a spouse or someone they were close to, and is fine taking their hardship to God? So maybe they, they're okay verbalizing and going to scripture and talking to God about how they feel, but they don't want to depend on people anymore, and they don't want to open up again. Why, why is God not enough to some extent? And I'm, I don't mean that to sound like heresy, but um, why is it not enough to just go to God with our problems? Why do we also need to go to people as well? I uh, think of this in a couple different ways. When, when Paul, when the Apostle Paul talks about the body of Christ, it's it is this radical, unprecedented phenomena. You just don't find body of Christ kinds of things in the Old Testament very clearly. Yeah, you, you find a caste system. You have you have kings, and who knows why kings were there? Because because. Because God should have been the, the reigning king, but you right. end up having human kings. Then you have priests and you have prophets, and then you have the riffraff like the rest of us. Right. Uh, uh, but, but everything changes with this body of Christ. This, and, and, and that's why it, it's, it, it's really exciting to think about an interdependent you know, local body because it's, it's radical. It's revolutionary. It is the evidence of the Spirit working. So, well, what does that mean? It means that that the Spirit is pleased to have the presence of God mediated in part through the lives of other human beings, uh, walking tabernacles, people who have Christ within them. And, and this, is, this, is, this is just part of the deal at this particular time. We will see our God face to face. But until then, he, we have the Spirit, we have the Word, we have the Spirit coming to us in other people. So, so for me, let's take a more extreme example, and, and it, it, let, let's let's say let's say somebody's struggling with pornography, uh-huh. and and um, that not, you know, I, that's not necessarily a personal issue. I can I can riff on that and give variations on the theme. But let's say somebody's struggling with pornography. Well, you, I, I assume that most men who struggle with pornography they will confess it to the Lord until. Until they feel like it's sort of wasting their time because they keep going back over and over and over and over, and why bother confessing it? Because it doesn't seem genuine. Right. But they, at least there was a point when they were willing to speak to the Lord. But but notice how it's what if it seems easy to confess to the Lord who is the who is the Holy One, right? Granted, loving and forgiving, uh, and and it seems almost insurmountable to speak it to a regular old human being 
just like you, right. <laughs> who, who is a suffering sinner, there's something that seems a little bit disingenuous about totally. speaking it to the Lord. And, and I have so appreciated that one of the themes that seems to be emerging over the last five years in the church is, is, to, be, is to be more radically open and transparent with one another, even to the point where it could be a bit impolite <laughs> and, yeah. and, 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 and a bit... A bit ground shaking, and when I talk to to people who have grown, those things that were private, and we're, we're what we're assuming here is that people are a bit ashamed yeah. of what is private. Well, the, the the very nature of of shame is that that it it won't go public, and and to to, to violate shame is to to speak openly to God and to the community, and to grapple with that. In, in the context of loving community, and sometimes a not-so-loving community. So, there's something, I, I, my own experience is there's something disingenuous in, in speaking it to the Lord, but saying, uh-uh, I, I will not speak this to, to another human being. It's, it's most likely shame yeah. that is justifying yeah. itself. And, 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 and so, we end up persisting in this shadow land, these this land of darkness, and don't have the privilege of, of this, this radical openness that forgiveness of sins really offers us, where there, we have nothing to lose. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, are we standing on our own reputation, and are we standing on our own holiness? One of the great privileges of the Christian life is, is that, that we all know that we're sinners, and right. and and there there, you know the that. That, that wanting to hide, which is so prevalent, it's, it's, it's our instinct in human sin, it's what we see in the garden, to, to no longer feel like we have to hide and, yeah. and be ashamed before God or man. That's the, that's the great blessing of the gospel, to be open with one Absolutely. another. And boy, we want to take advantage totally. of, of one of that, that particular feature. Yeah, so it's not even, it's not even fair to, to say that it's not that God is not enough, it's that he is enough, and that one of the primary ways in his wisdom that he has chosen to be enough and to work in our lives is through the body of Christ. So it's not enough that like God's not, it's not so much that God's not enough and we need Hublin's to supplement that, but that one of the ways that God's chosen to be enough is through the body of Christ. Agreed? Uh, A natural expression of it's God is enough is that we, that we remove ourselves from the body of Christ. Why? Yeah. You know why? Why going to? Why worship with other people? Why be part right. of this? This you know the, this motley assortment of folks. That's God and myself. That's yeah. That's the natural expression of it, and that is that is opposed to the way the Lord has established His kingdom. It's a yeah. human populated kingdom. That, that's right. That is somehow equipped to minister to each other. Yeah. Well, one of the most counterintuitive principles I think that you state in the book, you said it like this. You said, uh, your neediness qualifies you to help others. And I wonder, why is that? And then also, are there, are there ever limits to that? Where there might be a level of need and or brokenness or something in your life that you're wrestling with that kind of like that those oxygen masks on on the airplane that they say will drop that it's important that you put yours on first before you help your kids. Um, (laughs) So is there is there ever a point like that where I love that idea that neediness qualifies to help others? So why is that? And then is there a limit to that ever? Yeah, why does it qualify us? It's 
I have a friend who, faith is that's that's our most that's that's our most glorious glorious response yeah. to to the Lord, and and I can have a friend who who define faith as simply I need Jesus. Yeah, I have to depend on another rather than myself, and, and I have always so appreciated that particular way of approaching faith. In other words, it's just part of the deal. It's part of being a a finite human being. Yep. It's part of being a creature and part of being a suffering creature and part of being a sinful creature. It is just natural to say, I need Jesus and, and I, I need other people as well. So, that's, that, that's one reason it's important. It's just, of course, how could it be any other way? The other is that is preparation for caring for other people. To see your own neediness, it, it instills a certain humility that protects us from so many errors. Because what have we found in, in, in our sin or our misery when we've talked to other people? Those, those who have immediately launched in to confidently to advice yeah. or even confidently launched into scriptures without really hearing, without really participating with us and partnering right. with us. It's, it's that confidence that I think oftentimes derails our, our care for one another. But, but, but the, the, the humility that comes from neediness, it, it is willing to listen. It's... It's willing to, to it, it goes back and forth. Is this, is this what it's like? <laughs> and and it, it's, it has a certain respect. You know, how have, how have, you know, what have you seen in Scripture? Uh, and, and what has been helpful for you in Scripture as, as, as you've taken this to the Lord? It, it's, it's, it's that back and forth that, that, is, that is just immensely attractive and inviting. So, so that's, you know, those are the two reasons why I, I think that, that neediness is the, is the perfect qualification. It's, it's just genius that, that that would be our qualification for helping one another. Are there limits to, to who should help? Well, rather, than, rather than thinking about the, the exceptions to the rule, which I can't think of off the top of my head, okay. I, I would say that Here's the norm. I, the, the Apostle Paul, when he spells out this new culture, he says it's, it's the outcasts that are part of the kingdom of heaven. It's the, the, those who are perceived as weak, those who are perceived as not having it all together. That's, it's not those who have had the, the, the wondrous resumes who are, who are great in the world's eyes. It's the riffraff. That's... That that they are the they are the they are the very center of the kingdom of heaven, and and our God is pleased to use really weak people, to to do to to really mobilize the the kingdom of Christ and to to serve one another. So so I, rather than seeing the limits, if I if I try to tap the apostle Paul's mind, he's saying the weaker the better, yeah. and 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 again the, the qualification being the weak person knows they really need Jesus. And, yeah. and isn't it true that when we're thinking about sharing our lives with somebody else, that's, that's like the ideal person. Yeah. <laughs> somebody who knows their own neediness. Somebody who has just given testimony of, of struggles in their own life. And in the midst of those struggles, how they've asked for help. That's the person we're going to go to and say, you know, could you pray for me? Yeah, yeah. I, I struggle with the same kind of thing. So, yeah. so I, I suspect there are people who... who um, who we might think of as exceptions, I just can't, I can't think of any offhand. Yeah. Well, I think that's a pointed place for us to, uh, to be able to close. And so, Ed, I just want to thank you so much for 
all of your ministry and work. I don't think, I was thinking about this this morning, I can't think of a week that's gone by, quite honestly, in the last six years of pastoring uh, the church God's blessed me with, where I have not recommended that someone read When People Are Big and God is Small. No, I'm uh, still working on that one. But Okay. okay. Well, that's, that's just been such a hugely beneficial book. Yeah. You're one of those authors that uh, I think many of us, every time you have a book come out, we're excited because we know what's going to be in it and that it will be filled with Christ and scripture and insight. And uh, so it's an honor to be able to uh, have a conversation with you. And thank you so much for this new book. Well, Ryan, you're very kind. Thank you so much. My thanks to Ed for taking the time to chat and to you for taking the time to listen in. As always, I hope you found it helpful. Don't forget you can stop by my blog at ryanhugley.com for all the ways that you and I can stay connected via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll also find any additional show notes that you may want from today's episode. Until next week, I count it an honor to learn with you. I love you, and thanks so much for listening.